You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's great to be with you guys. Um, I don't know what you say on Palm Sunday. Is it like Happy Palm Sunday? Merry Palm Sunday? I don't know. Or do you just say it's Palm Sunday? Uh, I don't really know, but we'll just say Happy Palm Sunday for now. And if you guys are like, what is Palm Sunday? Great question, because that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So thanks for asking. Um, yeah, it's my, it's my privilege to be able to just communicate the Word of God this morning. Um, and this passage in particular is going to be coming out of Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. And it is an awesome passage. It's one of my favorites. And so when Riz asked if I could cover it, I immediately said yes, because it's just, there's so many amazing things in there. We're not going to be able to cover them all, but we'll cover as many as I possibly can fit in in the time that I have. Uh, which is limited. Um, so if you have your Bibles, can you turn to uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11? It's gonna, also going to be up here on the screen. Uh, and I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Matthew 21, 1 through 11 says, Now when they drew near, speaking of Jesus and his followers, to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the prophet uh, was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that we have an incredible opportunity to gather as your people every Sunday morning, Lord, in this amazing space to just enter into your presence, Lord, to worship you and to hear from your word. God, it's such an amazing privilege that we don't ever want to take for granted. So we just thank you for that, God. And we Thank you that your spirit is here in our midst, God, and we invite you, God, we say to you, have your way in and through us this morning. God, would you speak in and through me the things that you want to say to us, God, both individually and corporately, God, and help us to be people that respond appropriately to the message from your word this morning. God, we just praise you and thank you and just say and ask that you would be glorified this morning. Amen. Alrighty, so part of what I'm going to be doing this morning is kind of trying to set the stage a little bit for the rest of this week. And Pastor Riz already mentioned, Palm Sunday is the first day. It's kind of the, the beginning of what Christians call Holy Week. 
I don't know if you guys grew up in this kind of tradition or if you were just like, hey, we just celebrate Easter kind of and we don't really talk about this Holy Week. Maybe you grew up in an environment or a church context that called it Passion Week, uh, which just comes from the Latin word meaning to suffer. So it's not passion like we're going to party, but it's the suffering week. And for us as believers, for us that say that we're followers of Jesus, this week is the most significant week through the, throughout the whole year. And for whatever reason, Christmas just gets way more attention. I think it's just because it's a part of like tradition in the U.S. to take a lot of time off work and spend time with your family. And so sometimes we're like, hey, Christmas is the, the main thing. But Christmas really isn't anything to write home about unless this week happened, right? And so our entire faith rests on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is celebrated, which is remembered, which is reflected upon during this week. And so Palm Sunday is the first Sunday, and it's, it's in, in all reality, it's celebrating what uh, maybe commentators or Bible teachers call Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And as I was preparing this message this morning, I was reminded of the importance of this week and what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, this is what Paul says. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, like this is the most important thing I could tell you, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. For us as believers, this is of first importance. This is what our entire Christian faith revolves around. If you're just going to remember, how do I summarize what I believe as a Christian? Here's the three things. That Christ died for your sins in accordance with Scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. And this is what Holy Week is all about. And so I kind of want to just show you, uh, if you're not familiar with it, just a little bit of a breakdown in this week. And so I kind of already mentioned that today is Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, which celebrates the triumphal entry of Jesus. Now, if you were to go to maybe, uh, maybe a Catholic church or a church that's a little bit more uh, liturgical, they might have things every day of the week that they, they celebrate and remember. Because after Jesus goes into Jerusalem, there's a bunch of other things that he does um, before the Last Supper, before he's put on trial and executed and uh, rises from the dead. And those take place during the rest of the week. But Thursday night slash early Friday morning uh, is uh, called Good Friday, which is when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, which is what we're going to reflect upon on Friday. And that most likely took place actually Thursday night because in the Jewish calendar, once the sun sets, the day is over and the next day begins. So most likely it took place probably late Thursday night, early, early Friday morning. And then on Friday is when uh, early in the very, the very early hours in the morning, Jesus is uh, arrested and he's put on trial and eventually he's crucified and dies. And then three days later on Sunday uh, is Resurrection Sunday, or we call it Easter Sunday. And so we're going to celebrate that uh, next week. And so that's just a little bit of a breakdown of some of the, some of the major uh, days that we're celebrating and why we're celebrating them uh, during this Holy Week. Some people call, if you, if you come from a tradition that celebrates Monday Thursday, which is Monday Thursday, uh, it's, it's a celebration and kind of a reflection on when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. 
Um, there was a church that I worked with a while back, and we did that, and it was really a powerful thing. Um, so if you want to reflect on something on Thursday, that's also a great text to read from. So what's interesting in, in going back to our story and kind of trying to set the stage a little bit for the context of our passage I want to talk to you a little bit about how Matthew has actually structured his material. I don't know if you've ever thought about how uh, the authors have organized their material, but it's really important in the way that they're communicating their story and what they're wanting to emphasize. And in the Gospel of Matthew, what's really interesting is that Matthew is 28 chapters long, and the first 20 chapters, for the most part, take place in and around Galilee. And then about chapter 16 is when Jesus begins to journey to Jerusalem. And that period of time takes uh, about three years of Jesus' life. Three years in a 20 chapters or so. And then all of a sudden, starting in chapter 21 through chapter 28, the narrative slows to a grinding halt. It's just like a standstill. And the next eight chapters takes place in just one week. And so if you want to pay attention to what the author is emphasizing, that alone should tell you what's the most important thing that Jesus did. Was the miracles of Jesus when he healed the blind and he, and he raised the dead, was those important? Well, yeah, of course they're important. But we don't want to lose sight of what Matthew is communicating to us when he slows down the narrative to just one week. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 21, it's the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus, his, his attention shifts to Jerusalem. He doesn't arrive till chapter 21, but look at what he says. This is a, it's a pretty popular, uh, famous passage, but this is really when the emphasis shifts to Jerusalem. In uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the experts in the law, and be killed and on the third day be raised. And both Mark, Matthew, and Luke, this point in the story is the, the, the major shift and then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, my attention is going to Jerusalem. And why is Jesus going to Jerusalem? What does he tell his followers? And this is really important because it sets the stage for what's taking place during this story. He says he's going to what? To suffer and to die and on the third day rise again. So this passage in the, in the gospel, it sets this like really uh, dark shadow on the rest of the narrative. Because you know ultimately what's going to happen in Jerusalem as far as a reader is concerned, right? Because the author is setting us up for that. And this is important because this is the context for which Jesus is now arriving in Jerusalem and entering into the city. And we need to understand in the background of our mind what the author is trying to do and trying to communicate in this story. And so we see in our text this morning, in, in verse 1, the first half of verse 1, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth... I, I always say that every single time. It's... Bethphage, which is the house of the unripe fig, if you want to know that, to the Mount of Olives. And so this is the context for our story. So Jesus, uh, here's a map. So starting in chapter 16-ish, Jesus begins this journey from the Sea of Galilee. He's north of the Sea of Galilee, and he walks all the way 
to just east of the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives to this little village called Bethphage. Now what's interesting is that this journey thus far that Jesus has taken on foot is around 80 to 100 miles. And Jesus has walked thus far. He is now about a mile or so away from the city. He's about a mile, so he's about 1% of the way there, right? And this is where our story takes place. He's overlooking the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and I'm going to show you a picture in just a minute. But also, too, what's really interesting, you can leave it here. Yeah, you can go back to that map, yeah. Um, what's really interesting here is not only is Jesus um, is purposely stopping here before he goes into the city, but he's also perfectly timed his arrival to take place during the, the, the major feast in the Jewish calendar called Passover. So the Jews would celebrate three major feasts. The, the biggest, largest celebration was Passover. And this is one of the three feasts that they would celebrate yearly where people would pilgrimage from all over the Roman world to come to the city and pretty much party with their families and worship God and celebrate what event? They're celebrating the day when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the, eventually into the promised land as freed people. Now what's interesting is that uh, historians estimate that during this time in Jerusalem, there was probably around thirty to 50,000 people that lived in the city. And they estimate that during the Passover time, the population would swell three to four times. So we're talking about 120 to 150,000 people. Now, just to put that into perspective, I'm not good at math, but I tried in preparation. The, the population of the city of Honolulu in 2020 Two was 900,000 people. Now imagine if you woke up one day and there was three to four million people just in the city of Honolulu. Can you imagine how annoyed you would be? We get really annoyed, right, when the, all the, like, the tourists show up during the summertime and we're like, oh my gosh, like, will these people just go home? Imagine three to four million people just jam-packed in the city. That's the environment that Jesus is walking into. It is so heightened. It is so intense. And people are there to celebrate with their family and friends, right? It's the most important time of the year. And so Jesus, he could have showed up to Jerusalem a month before. But he purposely shows up now. And we're going to talk about the reason why a little bit more on Friday, if you want to come. And so this is where Jesus is. Sorry, Matt, can you go to the next uh, slide? Yeah, right here. So if you notice the, on the far right is where he is in this tiny village on the Mount of Olives. And just to the west is the city of Jerusalem and the, on the, te and the Temple Mount. This is just about a mile. And here's a picture of what it looks like today. And you can see the, the gold dome. It's called the Dome of the Rock. That's the Temple Mount. That's where the temple would have stood. And this is where Jesus would have been. Right here, he arrives, and he's just looking right over the Kindred Valley, right about a mile into the city. And the reason why this is significant is because Jesus has walked all this way, and he decides to stop and get on a donkey and ride the rest of the way. And you have to ask yourself the question, why is he doing that? Like, is he dehydrated, right, walking in the desert a long time? Maybe he, like, twisted his ankle or, like, sprained his knee, you know, and it's like, man, I can't walk the rest of the way. It's like, no, that's not what's happening here. 
Jesus has intentionally set the stage for this triumphal entry. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the reason why. And look what it says in the, in the next part of the story. It says, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And I just love this because you're going to see a scene like this when Jesus has his disciples prepare the Passover. It's this random, like, set-up thing. He says, if anyone says anything to you, this is all you have to say. The Lord needs them. Such an odd thing, right? Go get these donkeys, and if anyone says anything to you, just, says, just say the Lord needs them. And you, the, the two disciples are probably like, What? Like, are you serious? And then they go into the village and they're like untying these donkeys. Like, this is kind of awkward and uncomfortable. Hopefully no one says anything, but we have like the secret password, you know. And so then they, they come and they bring a donkey and the donkey's uh, foal or the colt of the donkey, which is the young donkey, which is the, is the one Jesus is going to ride on. And as I was studying this, I just, I just had to pause real quick because it's, it's so intentional what Jesus is doing, Right? And when you're reading these stories, you should begin to ask questions of, like, why, right? You shouldn't just assume you understand why all this is happening. But you should notice me, like, this is really interesting. I wonder what's going on here. And what's cool about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew really helps inform the reader about why all of these things happen. And so in the following two verses in chapter 21, verse 4 and 5, it says this. Matthew interjects into the narrative and tells the reader exactly why. He says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so, dear reader, if you wanted to know, oh, there goes my slides. If you want to know why exactly Jesus is doing this, Matthew says, Jesus is doing all this to fulfill what this prophet spoke over 500 years ago. And so this helps us understand the significance and the meaning to which Jesus is riding in on this donkey. It's to bring into fulfillment what the prophets had spoken. And what's interesting is that this, this quotation is primarily from Zechariah 9.9, but it's also a little bit from Isaiah chapter 62. So it's kind of a compilation of two ancient prophetic words. And in Isaiah chapter 62, Isaiah was a prophet in Israel about 600 years or so before the time period of Jesus. And he's looking forward to this day when the people of God would be delivered out of exile. And he says this to the people. He says, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So this is part of what Matthew is doing here. Is he's saying, Remember what Isaiah prophesied. That Isaiah prophesied that there's going to be a day when God is going to visit his people and he's going to bring them this salvation. I think I've mentioned this multiple times, but... Uh, during our uh, Advent series, Abby mentioned that the name of Jesus, what does Jesus mean? Yahweh saves. So embodied in the person of Jesus is the salvation. So you can imagine, behold your salvation. Yahweh saves. Behold Jesus comes. And then the, the second half of it is from Zechariah 9.9, primarily this. And Zechariah was a prophet again 
talking about this day when this future king would arrive, this future messianic figure that would bring deliverance and freedom to his people. This is about 500 years or so before Jesus. And he says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Zion is just another name for Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you can imagine the people of Israel waiting five, six hundred years for this future king. Because when you close the Old Testament in Malachi, you're waiting 430 years-ish till the time of Jesus. And guess what? There has been no king reigning on the throne of Israel. They're waiting for this king to come. And how does Zechariah describe it? How are you going to know when this king comes? How are you supposed to know? Oh, the king is going to be humble and mounted on a donkey. He's going to come on a donkey. Jesus is now riding on a donkey. You get it? It's supposed to tell you that this is the person you've expected. This is the one in whom is bringing your salvation, right? It's setting the stage. It's setting the expectation. And I just love the description in Zechariah 9.9. Look at the way this king is described. He's righteous, and he's having salvation, and he is what? He's humble. And as I was, as I was going over my notes this morning, I was like, man, that is such a cool characteristic of Jesus. Just imagine if our leaders today were humble. Just imagine what our, or what our world might look like. It is probably the antithesis of what it means to be a leader in our modern day. Humility? No way. Our king, the king that we serve, was humble. And the fact that he's riding on a donkey is also a symbol of that humility. He's not a king who is riding into the city victorious on some massive war horse. He's riding on a donkey. And look at what it says. It says that the, the disciples in verse 6 through 8 went and did as Jesus had directed them. Then they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is why we call it Palm Sunday. Palm tree, palm branches. And if I had prepared in advance, I would have like gone into the yard and like cut some branches and had them. Uh, I should have done that. But I didn't. You can imagine it. You guys saw palm trees on your way in here. And so this is the scene. So Jesus is now sitting on this donkey. He's sitting most likely on the young donkey. And the mother is with the young donkey because to bring comfort in the midst of the crowd. And they put these coats over the donkey so he can sit on them. And as he's riding down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley into the East Gate, into Jerusalem, all of a sudden there's all these crowds of people, both his followers and probably people from just the surrounding areas. Right? That's a lot of commotion happening. And what are these people doing? They, they go out of the city in order to welcome Jesus into the city. And the way they do it is they do it through these symbolic actions of taking off their coats and putting them on the road and cutting off branches and then putting them on the road. And so you should ask the question, what in the world are these people doing this for? The easiest way to probably uh, understand this is kind of like when you like roll out the red carpet, right? It's like here's, here's Jesus' red carpet. It's just ancient and kind of strange. So... We don't do that today, but that was normal back then. And so this is the scene that's taking place. And so not only does Matthew tell us that this is to fulfill what Isaiah and Zechariah had prophesied, 
But Jesus is also doing something that every good Israelite person would understand at a deeper meaning, a deeper level, because this is not the first time a king of Israel has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. This is not the first time this has happened. Does anybody know when? My Bible school students. So King David... In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20, uh, through uh, chapter 20, after he has fleed from his son Absalom, he enters back into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey. When David is about to die and his son Solomon is being uh, put in his place, Solomon is put on David's donkey and taken out of the city to the Gihon Spring, and he is then made king and brought back into the city on David's donkey. Right? So Jesus is just walking in this kind of uh, history that's already taken place. But why are people laying out their coats and cutting branches? This is not, again, the first time in Israel's history where this has taken place. You guys know King Jehu, right? You guys all know uh, our buddy Jehu. Not Prophet Jehu, but King Jehu. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, when Jehu is anointed king of Israel, the people put their cloaks under his feet for him to walk on. So this is all this cultural background that we don't get, but this is hugely significant. Why? Because people recognize something about Jesus, right? What are they doing? Wait a minute. This is what kings in Israel have done in the past. And so by putting out their cloaks, in a way, they're going back to what what happened with Jehu. They're recognizing Jesus as king to some degree. But what about the palm branches? This one's my favorite one. I know I had a lot of time to talk about Judas Maccabees, but I don't. As I'm going to summarize quickly. You're not going to find this in the Old Testament because this story took place in about 150 years before the time of Jesus. And before the Romans ruled over uh, Israel, the Greek Empire did. And there was one particularly nasty guy named Antiochus Epiphanes about 100 years before the time of Jesus. And he majorly persecuted the Jewish people, and he ruled over the city of Jerusalem. And he set up idols, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple, and desecrated the temple. And 150 years before Jesus, there was this guy, Judas Maccabee, who led this revolution and overthrew the, ro- the, ro- the, the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he rededicated the temple, and he established the sacrifices again. This is called Hanukkah, if you're uh, from a Jewish tradition. That's celebrated today called Hanukkah. And what did the people do in response to that? They praised God by waving palm branches. And so you can imagine people's expectation here. And this is important. Do you see what's happening in the story? The donkey, the coats, the palm branches. It's all hugely significant because it's all helping us understand what exactly Jesus is about to do and who he is. And I, I want you to imagine, again, it's kind of hard to imagine the scene, but this, it, says, it says afterwards that in verse 10, it says, the whole city was stirred up. This, this actually means like the city is disturbed. This was, this was some significant thing that was happening, and people are like, what in the world is going on down there with this person Jesus, right? This prophet of Nazareth. So I want you to think for just a minute, in light of the background of everything, what do you think is going through the minds of Jesus' followers and the crowds of people? 
at this point? What do they think Jesus is about to go and do in Jerusalem? What do you think they expect Jesus to do? Yeah, he's the king. What do kings do? Yeah, well, let's look at verse uh, 9. It says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I want to stop there because this is hugely significant because what they're shouting, you guys, is a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. Now, if you're attentive or if you were here during our call to worship, what was the psalm that we read out of? Psalm 118. So I thought that was pretty clever on my part. Okay, I guess not. I was like, okay, cool. So why is this psalm significant? Why Psalm 118? And so I mentioned this before when I've talked about the miracles of Jesus, that sometimes the author uh, likes to communicate through the words of the people. And the people give us an insight in what they're saying, give us an insight into what their expectation for this King Jesus to be. And look at what it says in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, this is, what they're, this is what they're shouting out. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The word Hosanna, for some reason, is not translated in our English Bibles, but it means save us. When you cry out Hosanna, you're crying out save us or save now. So this is what the crowds are doing. They see Jesus, the son of David, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And they're recognizing him as king. And they're crying out, save us, save us. Who do they think Jesus is about to save them from? Because it's no longer the Greeks who rule over the city of Jerusalem and the people of God. But it's the Romans. That, for the people, was the enemy of God's people. And their expectations definitely would have been Jesus is about to run into Jerusalem on this donkey and he's about to lay it down. And he's about to go in there and he's about to overthrow Rome and he's about to rededicate the temple just like Judas Maccabee did. This is the Judas Maccabee 2.0, right? There's no doubt that that's what they were expecting. Crying out to Jesus, save us. Save us now. And this is significant for our understanding of the story, right? And this is where uh, we need to kind of think about who Jesus is. Who is this Jesus who was the son of David, the Messiah, the king that was to bring salvation to the people of God? Because if <laughs> the whole last week of Holy Week is pretty much ironic, it's all this really tragic irony, right? Because Jesus, when he's uh, crucified, uh, he has this sign, this place over his head that says, King of the Jews, right? And it's, it's this sarcastic mocking by Rome. But in all reality, Jesus is the King of the Jews. And Jesus becomes King by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So Jesus really is what the crowds are saying he is and what the crowds think he is. Jesus really is the king. He really is the one that Isaiah and Zechariah prophesied about, right? And so when the crowds are shouting out, save us, save now, what they're crying out is a real genuine cry. But it's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of 
the message in the person of Jesus and what Jesus came to actually do. And I think for, for Jesus' followers, even, if you were here last week, they also had a little bit of a misunderstanding of what Jesus was coming to do. They knew that Jesus was coming in to usher the kingdom of God, right? And that's why they said, hey, Jesus, when you come into power, can I sit on your right and sit on your left? And Jesus is like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? You have, you have, a, you have no idea who I am and what I came to do. Because their, their sights are set on something physical, there's a physical problem that we have. There's a physical, real enemy that the people of God have, and it's Rome. And they're really annoying. And it would be awesome if our expectations were met, Jesus. Can you just go there and do what we want you to do? <clears throat> but we know the rest of the story, don't we? We know what's going to happen in the next week in Jerusalem. And see, Jesus really is the Messianic King, king who came. Um, but what doesn't happen is that Jesus doesn't go into Jerusalem and start a violent revolution. Rather, Jesus willingly submits himself to the most violent, brutal death one could have, which is being crucified to a Roman cross. Not only was it brutal, but it was the most humiliating. This was a, this was a, a punishment that was saved for the most uh, uh, severe criminals. And Jesus is submissive to that. Why? Because this is why he came. Remember in chapter uh, 16, verse 21, he goes to Jerusalem to die. And this is how Jesus becomes king. And so I want to invite the worship team back up um, as we kind of transition into our, our second set of musical worship. And I, I, again, I just want to say that the, the goal of this morning was to kind of help set the stage for the rest of this week. It's an incredibly important week for us. And it's a time that we can take as the people of God to pause now, I don't know how you, how you want to do that this week. Uh, if you want to attend a Good Friday service or Easter or do something else to, to pause and to, to reflect and to meditate on who the person of Jesus was and what he came to do. And I think a great question to ask yourself is, who do I think Jesus is? The crowds ask, who is this? Right? Who is this person? And you see that question brought up over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, that people are like, who in the world is this? And I think that's what Matthew wants to have us as readers ask. Who is this Jesus, and what do I actually believe about him? Um, the good news this morning, you guys, is that Jesus came, and he became king by, by dying and by rising from the dead. And he didn't come to, to defeat a physical enemy. He didn't come to overthrow Rome. And that's actually good news for us because, you guys, empires rise and empires fall. And if it's not Rome, it's something else. Jesus came to defeat the ultimate real enemy of God's people, which is sin and death. The thing that separates us from God is what Jesus came to deal with. And he did that by dying and by rising again. And that's what this week is all about. 
This week is about celebrating that. You guys, that we don't have to, there's no longer no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God sent his son into the world because he loved the world. This is our Jesus. This is the one that we follow. This is the one that we submit ourselves to. And I just, I just invite you guys during this time of, of reflection and worship to, to feel free to posture yourself in a position that best fits uh, an appropriate response. If you want to stand and raise your hands, if you want to come and kneel on the carpets, if you feel like you want to take communion, communion is available at any point on the right and on the left. And I want to kind of leave with this last verse that I think just summarizes what we are celebrating throughout the rest of the week. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, and then verse 17. And this is out of the New Living Translation. It says this, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could, be, uh, then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. This is the God that we worship this morning. This is the Jesus that we, we meditate on and we follow and we think about this week that became flesh. And I love this. I love how it says that he set free all who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Is that not what the world around us is consumed by? It's consumed by death and the fear of dying. You guys, as the people of God, we've been liberated by that. Because death is not the final word. You're all, we're all going to die. I hate to, ba- I hate to break it to you. We're all going to die someday. But the, the promise that we have as the people of God, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, is that we, we are allowed and we get this great gift of being like him in his resurrection. And this is what we celebrate during uh, this Holy Week. We celebrate that Jesus came to take away the sins of us so that we could live with him forever. Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for the opportunity that we have as your people to gather together and to hear from your word and to worship you and respond to you this morning. God, there are no words, there's no songs, there's, there's nothing, there's no uh, reflection time that would ever allow us to fully understand the magnitude of what you did when you came into Jerusalem and when you were crucified and you were buried and that you, when you rose again. God, but we want to be people that allow this truth and this reality to form us as your people. That this good news should change everything about the way we live in this world. God, you are so good, and we, we, we really don't deserve the love that you give to us. God, but we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, and it's, it's our joy to, to just come to you in, in praise for that this morning.
we just give you this time in Jesus' name.